Welcome to Garage Night. I'm Randall and introducing my co-hosts. I'm Jeff. I'm Andy. And I'm Abby. And uh, joining uh, this week uh, off and on will be my wife uh, sitting in. Um, She knows Jeff and Andy very well and is here to Keep them in line, I suppose. Um, it's not working out well on the pre-roll. We got some weird energy coming in tonight, so uh, just be forewarned. Um, we will attempt to go into uh, the news first. Uh, I uh, haven't found much um, except just you know more EVs being announced. Um, you know from from Lincoln and you know more from Riven. That's some cool stuff, uh, you know, Nikola pickup truck. I, I like seeing news of, of new stuff. Uh, but I, you know, that's kind of just the, the state of automotive right now is seeing, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, EVs coming onto the market. Are, is this just going to explode or is this going to be more, um, you know, in the early 1900s when there was a lot of, a lot of brands, but they quickly became, just a few. Are we going to see more brands pop up like Tesla? Is Riven and Te- uh, Nikola going to become real brands, or are they flash in the pan? Um, I would probably uh, say that some of those, you know, the Rivian, some of those little more uh, eccentric uh, brands probably won't. Um, uh, I would say probably won't succeed uh, like Tesla has. Um, Tesla made a kind of an interesting move early on, uh, gathering engineers from all of the top companies. Um, what I think uh, you might see from those companies, like Rivian, are maybe partnering with uh, other larger car makers to um, kind of get their technology, maybe sell their technology to uh, somebody like Ford or Chrysler, and uh, try to kind of um, merge those two brands into, and you know, maybe a powered by Rivian or something like that. But a lot of those kind of boutique. Uh, brands don't seem to really last, um, and it takes quite a bit to make a modern car company um, successful. Like something that wasn't long established doesn't have a long history. Um, that's just my thought on it. Um, but the EV thing seems—it seems to be kind of kind of interesting. Like we have like a weird duality right now, where you have um, companies like Mazda investing a lot of uh, time and energy into developing the gasoline engine, and even Chevy with the LS to some degree. But they're developing interesting new uh, technologies like, um, you know, the Skyactiv and some of that, where they're really pushing the boundaries of what a gasoline engine is capable of from an efficiency standpoint. And then you have other companies embracing the electric side of things, doing full electric-powered uh, vehicles. So I think it's kind of interesting to see them battling it out right now to see which one uh, ends up being the winner. Um, unfortunately, we're still really entrenched in the gasoline uh, kind of driven society so um you know but ev stuff is starting to take hold uh you know i think thanks a lot to tesla and some of the other companies pioneering that so it'll be kind of interesting to see how they do get out over the next few years and do you have any thoughts on uh the emergence of the uh evs i mean uh, there's there's probably going to be you know some competitors there's going to be some rise some fall you know i mean just the, the nature of the beast with that whole market there's going to be more stuff you know coming to market in recent, in you know, following coming years, um, you know, you know, we'll see what stays, what goes. I mean, Tesla's kind of got the you know the the market cornered right now, but I, I would imagine there will be more competition. 
Maybe there'll probably be more people that come into like the lower end market. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Tesla's pretty, you know, mid higher end market, you know, with price. I mean, there's affordable options too, but there's going to be more competition, which will drive their prices down to compete eventually. But I mean, right now they're doing pretty dang well. If you look at their stock prices that keep skyrocketing, it seems like every week or so I, I look at it and kick myself for not buying some shares years ago. Yeah, certainly. I, I do the same thing. I, I just uh, got an update that apparently they're worth more than uh, GM and Ford combined, which is crazy to think that they're yeah. behind only Toyota in valuation. That's crazy. But that valuation versus actual, you know, value of, you know, a stock market is what they could be worth and will be worth versus what they are currently worth. Sure. Which, yeah. you know, two totally different things. Yeah, definitely. So uh, aside from that, um, Jeff, uh, we, Jeff brought up uh, the different technologies that are emerging for, um, you know, making gasoline stay competitive, like the Sky Active running at greater than 13 to one compression. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of work with like active cams and, uh, and such. Uh, that reminded me that uh, Jeff has a, a story about camshafts and uh, how they don't make them how they used to. Yeah, just before this started, uh, uh, we started this uh, show. I was watching an episode of Uncle Tony's Garage on uh, YouTube, and he uh, he's pretty well known. He uh, used to write for magazines back in the '80s, um, back when the Fox Body Mustang first came out. He was writing for Ford. He's uh, he's really pretty big into the in the car scene and built hundreds and hundreds of engines. And, um, and, uh, he was talking about how the last few engines he's built, um, he seems to have had uh, a lot of issues and he's never had these issues before, but uh, a lot of issues with material degradation in the camshafts and in the lifters, um, coming from, you know, parts houses, like, uh, you know, I'm guessing, um, some of the major part houses, we all know who they are. Um, and I, I guess, um, you know, researching online, a lot of these lifters, especially like, you know, the hydraulic flat tappet uh, camshafts and lifters all come from either the same house or production facility or really, you know, kind of similar facilities. They get their metal metallurgy or their metals from the same place. Um, and I guess what he, he was seeing is it's very, very hit or miss as to whether or not you're your uh, lifters or your cam will go flat or you'll have issues with them loading out. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, something that a lot of new cars, uh, I don't know if any new cars still use flat tap at anything, um, you know, uh, like the LS, I'm pretty sure all of the new stuff that uses uh, conventional, um, you know, they use like a conventional motor uh, set up with push rods and, and, uh, and lifters. If they use um, uh, just roller roller setup, just like the old uh, f uh, Fox Body Mustangs and the, and the five feet for space. I think all new cars are all rollers, so I think that that the flat tapping technology has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. Um, no longer being used, so they're no longer developing or continuing to produce this, the correct materials because it's uh, the market is shrinking so much that if you're wanting to do a period correct restoration. Um, you know, with the correct internal components for an engine, it's going to be increasingly difficult to find those quality parts and getting a running vehicle. Um, you know, you're not going to have to, you're not no longer going to be able to look to the aftermarket. You're going to have to be looking for NLS parts uh, unless they can sort out their uh, material um, issues. 
you know, and the interesting thing about this, and I know I'm not alone in this, is I've had more problems with my old cars from bad new parts that I put on them. Like, it seems to me that all of the old parts that I've had in my cars seem to work well and continue to work. But all of the parts that I've replaced with, you know, the cheaper or the reproduction parts or whatever seem to fail within a few years. And that gives me more headache than anything else. So, you know, I think there's just a, a lack of quality coming out of some of these big parts houses um, and, you know, the, the places that they source their thing, their, their, uh, their, um, you know, their, their, I guess their suppliers for their parts. Um, a good example would be like the points that I have on my, um, on my Falcon. If you look at um, the points that were original to the car, it had a really nicely set up, uh, you know, stamped steel uh, with Ford embossed on the top of it, a little point with a, with an individual coil spring uh, separating the two um, points that would, uh, you know, control your point uh, separation. And so, you know, um, good, uh, good materials, good quality materials, and, uh, you know, never really left me stranded, but in my hunt for um, a, uh, a bad ignition coil that was a replacement um, part uh, <laughs> that ended up leaving me uh, uh, stranded, um, I had replaced the points. And when I got the replacement points, I got the, I opted for like the high-end Eklund, you know, Napa brand points or whatever. And it just was a little bent piece of steel, not even spring steel that they were using um, for uh, points. So the like the quality of of the parts, like the aftermarket parts, is just it's not there anymore. Um, you know, I, you know, aftermarket's always been questionable, but you know, anymore, even myself, I try to buy OEM or NOS stuff as much as possible to try to avoid some of these problems, but. I thought it was really interesting listening to Uncle Tony talk about just the actual material itself, even from some of these performance places, um, you know, uh, performance can manufacturers still having issues. Um, and he was talking in specifics about the primarily the lifters, but when a lifter goes bad or a lifter uh, wears improperly, it actually wipes out the cam too. So, um, you know, by the time you're done, you're replacing a, a camshaft and lifter setup again. And that gets really expensive. Um, so uh, his advice for most people would be to uh, continue. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna build these cars, if you can go with a roller cam, um, because one, it's you know uh, the technology um, is is pretty well proven now. The metallurgy is less important than the old flat tappet setups, um, and so you know kind of having to move on with the times and deal with you know sloppy manufacturing from overseas. That uh, that you know, this is kind of what what if you can if you can buy a roller, uh, you know, buy a roller setup for your car. Yeah, I I uh, I work in a in a metallurgy um, kind of a section of the industry, and I I see bad metal coming through often anymore, and it's 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 frustrating to see that. You know, good good chunks of steel that come in that get you know machined out of out of billet. They have voids in them in in the metal where the impurities uh, were not properly smelted out before it was you know cast into into a piece to be to be machined. And so when you start with bad base metal, it's hard to make a quality product. And, you know, it used to be that you could buy the different levels and you knew what you were getting with different qualities of steel. But 
with forged documents and uh, forged samples from overseas companies, you know, not slanderous. This is something that happens that we see, you know, they claim a certain grade and it gets okayed by their government. But by the time it gets over here, you know, it still gets sold as, you know, a certain grade of steel, but it, it is not properly from a metallurgical standpoint, that grade. And if it hasn't been properly smelted, it's going to have these voids. It's going to be more prone to pits and to, you know, shatter. And so if you start with bad metal, it doesn't matter how much work you put into it. So if you skimp a little bit on your base steel, it's going to, you know, hurt you big down the line. So these companies are not getting quality steel for their replacement parts it doesn't matter how well they engineer it or how well they produce the part you're you're never going to get a, a quality product back so i would recommend going back to an old way of thinking which is don't throw out that that cam you know it's worn grooves the guys have worn grooves in the mains or something i know for a fact you can go down and you can get you can get that repaired. They can grind down the metal. They can build it back up with, you know, an, an abundance of different types of metals to build size back up and then smooth it out. And you can keep running that original cam, that original crank. Uh, you know, you can, you can chrome interiors of barrels of, of cylinder walls. Like you can keep this old steel that was done under proper supervision uh, and and you can keep running this stuff. And so if we're having trouble with our base steel coming in on things and you need it to work like it did, that's probably your best bet. Because if you have dissimilar quality metals uh, rubbing against each other, you know, it's not going to, they built these designs and these prints for these parts based on a certain quality of metal. And so if you try and design it and you have a different level of steel, it's not going to work right. Andy, do you have any any trouble with uh, with the current state of like quality of parts, or are you able to find with your newer cars? Are you able to find enough quality, or at least equal quality, to what you're pulling out? I mean, I've I've been pretty lucky, I would say. You know, I wouldn't say better by any means, but definitely, you know, it's being somewhat current. I would say equal quality still. Um, <clears throat> but then again, I do. When I'm looking for stuff, I do hunt around a good bit before I just pick something up. Andy, you have a story about the uh, the Ford GT. Uh, they've got some updates for 2020. Yes. So, among other things, more power and more paint options. Uh, notably, a liquid carbon version. Uh, as it sounds, basically a 100% carbon fiber appearance, clear-coated over, looks gorgeous uh complete with the carbon fiber wheels um comes with a little bit steeper price tag but i would say worth it if you're already in the market for it and ford says here you go you can have one i would definitely go for it i like i like the golf the golf uh option for that i think that looks and the, so the golf the golf is definitely my like as far as what they'll give you option wise very nice, nicely done, you know, update to the golf scheme. You know, if you weren't going to go to the, the, uh, 
complete you know, exclusivity of going to their you know premier package deal where you get to pick the paint color and all that jazz, which is neat, but also comes with an even steeper price tag naturally. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of their best off the off the wall colors. Off, yeah, that and the the gentleman with the genius idea to um, pay for it and get the one of one and will never be one Mystochrome for GT. Insert oh. policy here. That would, that would be really that'd be that'd be a thing to see in person for sure. I would love to see that in person. Um, other than that, the 2020 is also getting a 13 horsepower increase, so a nice even 660 horsepower. You know me, I like even numbers. That's a nice number, nice round even number. Because that that's got the Acropovic uh, titanium exhaust. Standard. Yep, sta- yep, comes standard now as opposed to an option. So you get the nicer exhaust note and nine less pounds of weight. Man, that was that was already pretty lightweight exhaust to only shed you know nine pounds off of it because we I've taken some exhausts off of cars that are incredibly heavy. Oh yeah, definitely. It was already light, and you know when they're nine plus, you're going titanium and. Yeah, I you can get titanium lug nuts. I imagine it those. sounds pretty healthy. Oh yeah, it'd sound ridiculously good, I'm sure. For for a V6, you know, that's that's one thing that's been argued is is whether you lose something with the V6 exhaust note versus a, a V8 in that car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not the old V8 it, it was, but it's it's a it's a healthy V6 for sure. You know, I have no problem with a V6. Um, yeah, so it looks like the price tag starts at 750, uh, for the, for the liquid carbon versus the standard GT's 500 ish. That's a lot more to not paint a car. Which makes no sense because you're putting, you said, like you said earlier, you're putting more. But it, it, it is, it is more work to, to make a liquid, a, a naked carbon car. Because yeah. is it because they have to polish the. It's more work. Yeah. It's a different finishing. It's a different finishing process. Yeah. So yeah, they have to get the epoxy to to be look good enough to clear over and right. have a good shine right. to it. Exactly, and it's it's you know there's more imperfections and whatnot to perfect before you know the epoxy and the carbon's got to not only that you know the carbon the weave and everything has got to look right. If it looks if it comes out weird or looks weird or something, you know it's not going to look right on the car since you're not painting it. So there's more process and, you know, in your layup and setting your molds and everything for that, you know, and, you know, finishing the, you know, the finished product to make it look perfect before you clear over that, you know, once, once it's there, it's there. And you used to uh, make fiberglass uh, car parts. So you have some experience with the process. Some carbons usually it's from what I did, we, we didn't, we never did any you know carbon um but the the process of laying in a mold and having the resin or epoxy uh you know for uh for uh, putting it all together and then having to trim and polish and make yeah, it look so yeah, quality very very general process wise yeah there's some similarities um like layup is is different um when you're talking carbon you're you're your impregnation process and your finishing processes are all different though. Um, you know, you didn't t- typically, you know, you're done in like autoclaves or vacuum bagged to get rid of impurities. 
um, versus fiberglass, not necessarily. I mean, you you can, but um, <clears throat> when, you're, when you're dealing with carbon, that's typically how it's done. It's a higher end process. It's a lengthier process. There's more to it than, you know, just, you know, standard fiberglass work. You were saying, what was it you were saying about poisoning? What was this? It, there's just there's just more work to it. You have to be careful with carbon fiber. You don't want to get, um, you know, poked with it. Or you there's there's some nasty stuff that goes along with manufacturing of carbon stuff. Huh. There's just some nasty chemicals or, or something. Epoxy poisoning. Is it epoxy that they use? Is that epoxy? Epoxy is the yeah is the binder in carbon fiber. It's what binds it all together. Whereas you're used in fiberglass, you use a resin. Okay. You don't want to get some epoxy in yours and badly. Okay. Okay. Keeping that on my short list of things I don't actually want to play with. Uh, Speaking of uh, things to play with, I think. What was that, Jeff? So don't poke yourself with JB Weld then? Yeah, that is some dangerous stuff, that JB Weld. So uh, we'll go on to rides now. Um, so you guys uh, have some updates to, to share with everybody then. Who, uh, who wants to go first? Um, so uh, for my updates, uh, let's see, this, uh, this last weekend um, and over the past week, I've been working on getting stereo in my car and so I got I think I updated last week that I got speakers in there and amp and I finished up my sub box uh, this weekend and got my subwoofer in there and it all sounds really nice and um, nice good full rich uh, tones you know it's probably one of the better sounding of my stereos in my car so I'm pretty happy with that um, and it's uh, you know completely hidden behind the original uh, gauge um, gauge face or the original radio face so you can't see any of you you know bluetooth button board or any of that stuff so it's kind of neat but um uh so the other thing i did this weekend was a buddy of mine at work convinced me i should try putting um boiled linseed oil on my car um to try to preserve some of the raw metal and some of the you know rust and uh, old paint and you know keep it from eroding further and uh, he also said, you know, suggested it might help with some of the water leak issues I've had. But um, anyway, so I, uh, I watched a few videos on it and, and uh, read some articles and it sounded like it was a pretty safe thing to do. Um, and I, uh, so I took some oil, linseed oil and mixed it with some mineral spirits and wiped it um, on my car. And uh, I think Randy put a link or put a, put some pictures up on the Instagram. Um, and uh uh, anyway, yeah, it, it turned out great. It it uh, it kind of gave it a nice uh, little bit of a shine, not too much, and, um, and it, it kind of darkened up some of the bright reds in the colors. Um, so yeah, no, overall it kind of cleaned up the look of the car a little bit, gave it kind of more even uh, coloring, which is kind of nice. Um, you know, I think it'll wear off here in the next six months or so, and uh, from what I gather and what I've read, it, it shouldn't affect, um, you know, future paintability if that's ever a thing that needs to happen with the car. So um, anyway, uh, that's kind of what I have right now for, for my rides. Um, Andy, did you have some stuff? Mildly 
worked on the the Cobra a little bit over the last week or two here. Um, still don't know what's causing the draw in the system. Um, but got I thought that we figured that out last week. I thought that it was the uh, that missing fuse in the box for your uh, so yeah no so the missing fuse I don't know how it went missing but regardless that was the fuse for the traction control system don't know how it went missing but regardless put a new fuse in there and that fixed that problem but I don't know where the draw is coming from still I I haven't had any more time to run it down further but um. Of course, you know the while I while I'm at it rule, I ripped apart half the wiring for miscellaneous things in the car. Um, fixed the wiring for the traction control fit or the <clears throat> the traction control is just the fuse, but the fixed the wiring for the line lock, fixed the wiring for the exhaust solenoids, moved everything. It was just kind of hanging in the glove box. Um, it's kind of just a, it was just like a temporary, and the the line lock was never put in the very well located spot just kind of in the passenger side like um you know kind of like the kick panel area of like this just off the center console basically like just kind of floating out there and i never was really happy with how it was put in so so a little little nip tuck a little bit wire tuck yeah a little mini wire tuck i moved the line lock to the the armrest um the armrest console in the center and the um the exhaust solenoid switch i routed from the glove box to just in front of the shifter next to the traction control so it's a little bit more permanent a little bit more better fit and finished so i'm a little happier with that um got the new battery in charged it ran fine took it out for a jaunt the other day ran fine so it's put back away same with the focus it's charged back up put back away everything's running for the moment but careful uh, can't say that out loud yeah i know it, it hurt it so it's not going to start tomorrow Hmm. Yeah. It's listening. I'm I'm recording in the garage tonight. I think that means you get a point. We should start adding up points. Whoever oh, okay. actually records in the garage. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't get interrupted out here, and I don't disturb those sleeping in the house. So that's a win win. It's a win win, and the dogs aren't sitting here begging and annoying me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, I didn't do much uh, automotively uh, either this week. Uh, it's uh, it's been kind of bad weather out. My, the biggest thing is um, they have that in Texas. Uh, quite a bit when it rains. It, it it's Texas size raindrops, and uh, I was telling Jeff in the pre roll actually that um, the way that they set up their their drains, it's it's strange. They've got these massive uh, sewer drains on the sides of the roads under the curbs. That can and, be mistaken for an actual curb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hear. Yeah, yes. Abby stepped in that and uh, nearly broke her ankle uh, just when we first, the day we uh, moved here. But um, so they're they're massive. I mean, they're, they're right underneath the curb. I mean, Pennywise could grab like four kids at once and pull them, pull them <laughs> into the sewers from here. And they're everywhere. But the problem is that they don't, they don't build the roads to actually drain into them. So more than once on my commute home, while it's raining torrentially and it's just, just flooding the Dallas-Fort Worth area, now you're going past big old puddles and stuff, and then you see these things, they're bone dry. 
you know, not accepting any water because all their roads are are flat. They're not sloped towards the drains. Uh, and I can't for the life of me figure out why they're not because back in Oregon, all of the roads are slanted off a little bit. They're a little rounded so that it drains. But here, I mean, I understand it doesn't rain as much, but when it does, it's, it's quite deep and there's a lot of puddles uh, at driveways. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's one thing I noticed in my uh, truck just doesn't seem to want to hold traction if if i was a 10 years younger i'd probably be drifting around every corner just because <laughs> i have a hard time actually getting traction i'm starting to wonder if my if the tires uh are starting to get a little old get a little uh hard in the carcass and you know if the if the soft rubber has worn down enough it's still got like 30% tread, 40% tread, but I'm wondering if that's the hard rubber and it's old enough that it's simply not gripping through the rain as well. It could be. I mean, I'm pretty sure once you start to get down to like 30% tread, you're at the recommended replace time for that reason. Yeah, it's it's something I, I need to look into. I've been running uh, BFG all-terrains on my 04 Ranger 4x4 for as long as I've had it and the Ranger before that, even, uh, it's just what I've always run. Cause it was excellent in the snow. Like you can't beat it in the snow just about. Um, but with that not being such an issue for me anymore, I got to start looking into what I'm going to put on there. Cause I'd still like to be able to go out into a field if I need and not get stuck, but perhaps something more like a rugged terrain where it's not quite as hardcore might give me a little bit better tread wear, a little bit better uh, on-road traction, a little bit quieter possibly. So uh, I'm starting to look into stuff like that. And I know Jeff um, has uh, tried out a few more uh, tires than I have, uh, but that's just something that I need to start looking into. I've had a pretty good luck with my uh, hand cook. I had some have some hand cook uh ice cleaver but they uh they seem to work pretty good in the snow yeah and you you've got kind of uh, funny enough your your bronco has summer tires and winter tires uh <laughs> much like a commuter car would uh but much yeah, like a commuter car but you've got those studded hand cooks and then you run is it all terrains or mud terrains in the in the summer. Um, I have run both uh, before. I had the the KM ones on there, and then I have currently I have the KO two all terrains. Um, they're fine, you know. They do they do good. Yeah, that's what I've run um, quite a few times, and they're they're perfectly serviceable. I mean, it's they're really kind of hard to beat um, as a, as an all arounder short of actual like cakey mud. It won't, won't spin that out. It'll, it'll cake in there uh, real bad. Um, and of course it's really hard to beat ice with just about anything. Yeah. The, uh, the studs came in handy a couple of times when we've had the uh, ice storms in the, you know, here in the Northwest, uh, we've had a few days, um, in the last, you know, 10 years, only a few days, but, um, where we've had, uh, just, you know, uh, rain and then it freezes and it just turns everything into a skating rink. And so, 
trying to get home from work, you know, which isn't that far from me. Um, and everyone is just sliding off the road. Um, uh, it becomes very difficult. So that's the one weird thing, you know, if you're listening from somewhere that's not the Pacific Northwest, um, whereas in a lot of areas when it rains or when it, when it snows, it, it stays very cold. In the Northwest, we get really uh, a lot of temperatures right around freezing. And so we get a lot of the freeze and then the thaw and the freeze and the thaw uh, kind of situations happening in winter. And that makes road conditions super slick, you know, not to mention we probably don't have the best drivers in the nation, but um, we all like that aren't accustomed to snow, but uh, or that appears to be the case. But um, it also is we, we don't, you know, especially in Oregon, take care of our roads. And uh, we also get very, very slick conditions. So, um, you know, when I, when I was driving home, we had one night um, here probably a year or two ago that took me about three hours to get home, which usually takes about 25 to 40 minutes, depending on how fast I drive. Um, it took me about three hours to get home. And uh, it was because during the day, uh, it, it had rained all day. And then we got a crazy drop in temperature and everything just froze. And then it continued to freezing rain um, for a while. And so I had to go across the Columbia River uh, Bridge and it was just a skating rink, um, you know, and cars were just sliding into each other. And so I was kind of up on the shoulder and my Bronco just kind of passing everybody and, uh, you know, ended up driving down uh, right alongside the river where I kind of figured I'm like, well, no one's going to be right next to the river because it's colder there. So they're going to be trying to stay on the main roads. So I wanted to get away from everybody who couldn't control their vehicles. So kind of just went around everyone and, and was able to get home in only three hours. But most people that that night, that night of commuting took about uh, five to, to 10 hours to get home, depending on where they lived, just in the Pacific, uh, like Portland and, and uh, surrounding areas, because traffic was just a complete standstill everywhere, like every single I just I distinctly I distinctly remember that day yeah Yeah. I I had a buddy who worked right in the heart of downtown uh, lived in Vancouver I think it took him eight or so hours to get from downtown to Vancouver the opposite of doing and that would usually be 20 minutes yeah 20 30 minute drive for him right yeah it's just insane um that day I had to pick my wife up from work um, kind of thing. She didn't want to drive home. She didn't have any sort of quality, you know, traction tires or chains or studs or anything on the car she was driving at the time. So I went to pick her up. And what we all know is the, uh, the, the trooper of the escort. Um, all right. All had, right. I had studs on all four corners of that thing. And, I got, I picked her up. I got there, no problem. But by the time I had got to her is when the kind of the, the thick of it had set in and traffic was like stopped everywhere between her work and our house and coming back. It's like, well, this should be interesting, you know, and coming up the hill, the one way or another, you had to go up and down a hill between her work and our house. So I took the, the, the lowest, you know, gradient I could going through, you know, around through downtown Milwaukee towards the river back towards our house and even that was all congested. Everybody stopped going up the small incline there. And we were in the escort. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wait for this. People were stopped because they're being dumb. Nobody was coming. So, yep, we did the same thing. We just, yep, I went around. Everybody's like, what the hell? This little escort's flying, flying by everybody with a giant wing on the back. And 
uh, <laughs> equivalent of like an eight inch cowl scoop on the front and, uh, and the ice cream man music playing, mocking everybody in their stupidity. And the, uh, and the victory pipe with the flapper and the victory pipe with the flapper. And, and it was glorious. And I got home in about eight minutes. Can we throw a picture of that up on Instagram? So people, oh, I was about to say that, please check our Instagram. I'll, I'll, uh, post up, uh, either Thursday or Friday. So the day this releases or the day after, and uh, I, well, we'll put up like top three. You think you got three good ones? I got a couple. I know Jeff has a good one from from RDM. I've got a I've got a couple good pictures. Okay, and, yeah, we'll we'll uh, throw up a few of the escort the flapper in action. The rally escort. The rally escort, yes. And I mean, ironically enough, in the morning, the flapper acted as like a uh, um, a ghetto smoke shift smoke screen. <laughs> I, I back out of the driveway and if somebody decided to ride my butt I would just mat it and the, the flapper would open wide open and it would just puff you know <laughs> white smoke don't forget that uh, that that car had a dump tank of various uh, chemicals that would uh, with the push of a button dump onto hot exhaust wasn't it yes and uh, and smoke out anyone behind them. It was a real uh, James Bond. <laughs> wait, 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 uh, wait. Really wait. Uh, James Bond system. How did I not know about this? I need details. Was... <laughs> Don't forget the uh, the uh, the the alligator tail that was on. Alli- yeah, the, the alligator tail. The fiberglass. Oh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget Randy's face driving through Gresham. See him in the bullet, and me, me and my buddy Tyler driving through Gresham, and. Randy's jaw had to Abby had to pick it up off the floor. Just you, you had like the little Dino you had like carved out. Was it packing foam or something? Yeah, it was. It was like it, it, we we had some like six foot long like um, like four inch rectangle packing that we had for for our parts at the time that we had like they gave us because like an overrun of stuff, <laughs> and we carved like a dinosaur like tail out of it, like mounted on the back and like a razor back on the roof of it. Oh, it was hilarious. You that did some I, things. I think I tried to convince you. We did some things. I think I tried to convince you to paint each wheel like Rustle, like uh, but yeah, you wanted me to. You wanted me to do each wheel in a different color. Yeah, and at then one point. and then change all the lug nuts to different colors as well. Because it was four four lug nuts per wheel. So she's like, right. So one wheel will be yellow, one will be green, one will be blue, one will be red, and then each wheel would have one color of each in the wheel. I just, I think it's right. fun. I think it, my OCD wouldn't let me do it, unfortunately. What? I plastied it instead. Yeah, well, I mean, it comes off. You know. Yeah, it comes off. I, I eventually ended up doing the the A and C pillars as well, too. Oh. Basically, the whole like, side. What did you win? Uh, black dip as well. I still see that car. Yeah, funny story about that car. My dad got it back. Did he really? Yeah, it's in the garage right now. <gasps> Is he keeping it? I don't know, but if, uh, if you want a, a Gambler 500 car... <laughs> Oh, dude! Why don't you guys come back up and we'll do the gambler and the rally score? I'm I'm legitimately thinking about it. if he doesn't sell it, like I I want to I want to get some long travel shocks and put some motors on it and gamble that thing. If you guys make it happen, I, get it back? I'll see if I can come up. We'll put we'll put the uh, podcast on the side in in, in stickers and and uh, and head yes. out there. Yes. And we will video the whole thing, right? Oh, for sure. Yes. We all have a yeah. GoPro to put on that thing. So we'll have all types of angles. This will be great. Oh, don't. This won't at all end badly. <laughs> why Why did he get it back? I'm curious. So the, the person, the gal we sold it to, ended up getting another different car. So 
she just wanted to get rid of it and first right of refusal. Yep. Yep. Wonderful. She she ended up never even registering it or any or titling it or anything. So dad didn't didn't even have to do anything. Just took the, the title back and he did. I think he just renewed the tags on it this week because they were expired. But yeah, I didn't have to change registration, change title or anything again. So it like, worked out. That's awesome. I, I, I do to, to back up a little bit. I do remember that, that winter uh, specifically, cause we had the, we had our, our focus, our 2012 focus and it had, we had just put the Blizzax on it. <laughs> and so ah, yes, I was, I was keen to, to kind of test it out a little bit. And luckily for me, uh, my wife was uh, pregnant at the time with our second yeah with griffin yeah yeah, with our second child and she wanted pizza i'll let her uh, (laughs) tell her version (laughs) of the story we were because we were safe and warm at home yeah because we lived in estacada and it's 20 minutes to anywhere and of course like there's a pizza joint like what five minutes away not even like four blocks from our house but it it wouldn't work because it wasn't the right pizza don't ask questions. You'll so never we, understand. We had to do what was usually a 25-minute drive into the town of oh, Clackamas to go to the Pyology so, at the mall downtown. Oh, God. Yeah. So what was that, a couple-hour adventure? Uh, I think it took us, what, two and a half hours to get there, and we didn't actually get there because, what, we didn't actually get there, did we? No, we got it. We, we got, got there? The and then we decided, oh, right, we decided we were going to stay and hang out at the mall for a little bit to see if maybe things would dissipate a little bit. Yeah, the traffic we... would die down. And... In which case it got worse. It got, yeah, and, and there were like, there were state police, like t- patrol and everything, lots of county mounties and stuff trying to like direct traffic. And I know that like snow doesn't happen a lot in the Pacific Northwest, but for the love of God, like, Every time it snows, like it's snowpocalypse all over again. And it, everybody forgets everything. Everybody forgets everything. And it's like anarchy becomes the rule. Like I know my light in front of me is red, but I'm still going to try and go through the intersection because it might be slick. And it's like, guys, it's not. There's like a dusting of snow, you know, and, and that was like, that was the beginning of the snowstorm because it lasted for what, two or three weeks it went into January. Yeah, it was it was it was a couple of weeks because it was right when I started my new job too. Yeah, it's it, that way. I was out for like a week or two. Yeah, all I remember is we just like it. It was it was not fun, but I mean, I wanted what I wanted, and I always get what I want. So, you know, poor Randy has to drive all that direction, and we're in the car, and I mean, the car handled it beautifully. That's even, the thing. We had no trouble, even yeah. with like even when it didn't have snow tires. When I was pregnant with Walker, and I was driving it. It handled the snow. It's always handled the snow beautifully, but the Blizzax was like cheating. I mean, because we. Lived- oh yeah. There's something about a small, a small Focus or Escort in the snow that's just satisfying. Yeah, like we got it up his parents' hill, you know, on that nine percent grade, and it didn't even care. And his parents, like four wheel drive cars and trucks, were having an issue with it. And we're like, seriously, it was super easy. Anything less than three inches of snow, and I think a front wheel drive. A uh, car with proper snow tires is pretty hard to beat. When you get more past three inches, and it starts kind of dragging on your uh, your suspension a little bit and, and pulling, kind of you're having to push through the snow. That's when you need proper four wheel drive and off road tires and and you know more ground clearance. That's when that becomes 
a real thing, but less than that. I think in Oregon, if you're going to have snow, the most important thing to make sure your vehicle has is like a good sound system, some podcasts or good music lined up. Cause you're just going to sit and wait the entire time. Like there's, you're not going anywhere. They're, you know, it's terrifying. We don't know, you know, I can't drive in this, you know, dusting of snow. I might die, but you know, I, we, we waited probably two hours in line just to get onto the highway. Yeah, I know. I know we were, we were just crawling through and, you know, me just trying to keep keep my temper. And it's like, this is completely unnecessary, but, you know, there, there are worse things in life. But yeah, it would, I, there was just cars uh, on the, in the ditch all the time um, on that trip. And I'm just thinking, man, all these big four-wheel drive trucks with the big tires and the big lifts, and they're not getting anywhere. That I can't. No, be, and the problem. The problem with that is that everybody that drives in there doesn't know how to drive. It's all look. It's a dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. All the, the the fake trucks around there. Yeah, all those trucks with open front and rear differentials. Yeah, bro dozers. Yeah, bro dozer. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of. All I really had for for a ride um, was a quality digression. Um, so if we didn't work on anything else, we could move to to topics. And uh, I was thinking maybe we could dip back into our uh, our favorites lists um, that we had, that we kind of started in on. Um, and uh, one that I thought we could you know go through a couple. Uh, would be like, um, like popular, not popular, cool SUVs, because there there are some that are better than others, um, and there are some that are just neat and interesting. And I'm gonna go ahead and uh, kick it off with something weird. Uh, are you guys uh, at all familiar with the Isuzu Via Cross? I am not. So the Isuzu Viacross is one of the weirdest looking cars. And in its time, it would have been horrendously ugly. But now it kind of has a like a like a weirdness factor that that makes me kind of just smile. I'm looking at it now. It looks like it's got like um, walrus tusks in the grill a little bit. What the heck? It's, yeah, it's it looks, a little two door. It looks like an Aztec had a baby with like an. It's a baby Aztec. It is. I it's, didn't even know this. I thought like, you were talking it's, old it's school. Like a Toyota, this looks fairly new. It's like a Toyota. What did your what is Jessica it's, drive? It's early two thousands. It's kind of like a Rav Four. Yeah, it's like character. a Rav Four. Yeah, it's a Rav. It's a Rav Four that had a baby with a with a Aztec. With an Aztec. Yeah, that is. I, I saw one of these on. driving in uh, in Portland just the other day. Yeah, you'll see them from time to time. Uh, there was a bright yellow one that used to live in the town, uh, used to be in the town that I lived in, and it would be at the uh, at the grocery store from time to time. Just a bright yellow, really well maintained for ninety nine to two thousand and one, and you know, it actually at the time, like it had a three and a half liter V six with two hundred fifteen horsepower. That's completely in line with everything else and you know that would be competing directly with like the explorer sport or or something like that which you know had the four liter running 200 horsepower so i mean this thing was 
relatively modern for what it was. It's just such a weird looking thing. And of course, a small brand like Asuzu, small over here at least, you know, that's, that was my first thing I wanted to bring up was this, this, you know, weird looking vehicle. There's actually an episode uh, on, uh, there's a show on Motor Trend On Demand called Dirt Every Day. And they they take, a you know, just a weird off-road centric vehicle, whether it's, you know, something that should or shouldn't be out there. They did one with a, a Dodge Magnum wagon and they uh, and they took a V-Cross uh, on one of these adventures where they, you know, take a few parts and they, they cut the fenders and they try and see how well it can off-road for very little money. And it's... It's a very entertaining episode that I recommend everyone uh, check out if you're on uh, that streaming service. But it's they they do a good job of kind of explaining the car. Um, but that's like if I had to have a weird SUV, this might be in my top three just because and it's attainable, but it's it's unique and it's not something that you're going to see around. And that's kind of my my steez is is you know the odd the odd duck the odd duck yeah well you you can i'll get i'll give you both one guess as to which brand i'm going to bring up ford ding so it's what the one that comes to mind is the explorer sport track adrenaline oh i saw an adrenaline not like three days ago bud Completely honest, I got a picture. That's why is exactly why I brought it up because I did too. I saw one last weekend. Is it red? Uh, yeah, red. Yep, yep. Those are those are those are weird, cool things. I still have. I actually uh, still have the um, the brochure that, or I just re, uh, recently threw it out uh, when I was a kid. I would go to the uh, auto show and I would pick up any and all brochures that looked interesting and go home with a big bundle of them. And I had one for the adrenaline that was coming out later that year. And I believe that was the last yeah. year of the, uh, of, of the sport track as well. I think so. 2010 or so. I want to say. So what what do you like about it? Like, what's your? Why don't you kind of go over it for for people a little bit? For one, um, I mean it's 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 a good mix of you know you get a little bit of a bed for um, a little bit of you know hauling capability, but you get the you know the the full size you know cab inside, and and you know it kind of not not really filled, but was an option for the lacking market of, you know, the missing lightning after Oh four. Yeah. It so, kind of gave you something. Cause this was for, 2010 for like a performance truck that was on brand for me. Like mix. It's a, it's a cool truck. It's, it's not something you'd see every day and not a lot of people even know it exists. Yeah. It's, it's very off the beaten path. I wish they would have done something with the performance of it. I did come with, I believe limited slip 8.8 rear axle. But it came with yeah, a four point six. It was a little bit beefed up, if, but I believe Roush offered a package on them too for a while. I think that's probably the answer: getting adrenaline and then let the aftermarket yeah. uh, make it make it do what it looks like it should do. Right. I mean, that would be one that you know, if it you know, find one in kind of you know mint condition and 
you know, you know my wheelhouse. You know, slap a slap a two three Whipple on it and have fun. That could be because that's the beauty, beautiful part is that it is the four point six V eight. Um, so there's so much between the F one fifty and the Mustang. There's enough parts that you can swap onto that, and you know the Explorer being, you know, around for as long as it was in that body on frame configuration, you can get parts pretty easy for it, and you can and you can upgrade it to be kind of what what you uh, imagined it to be in the first place. Yeah, that would be that would be really cool if they uh, if they had something like that. But I mean, they do have the Explorer ST, so that, they, that should yeah, be. they do have the ST. I I I ran into one a couple days ago, actually at a customer's house, and got to look it over a good bit. And it's a nice, it's a nice one. I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to drive one, but from you know, they they get pretty pricey from what I've seen. Yeah, most SUVs do now. Um, now I know where Jeff is gonna go. I if if he's gonna pick an SUV, there's there's one that tops his list every day, and you know I I think I know where he's gonna go with this one. The nineteen seventy eight range. <laughs> at least at least that well, model. I mean that goes without saying, right? The nineteen seventy eight Ford Bronco, uh, best of the breed. Um, or were you going to go with a slightly newer white Bronco? No, no, but you know, um, I'm kind of a sucker for SUVs in general for some reason. So, uh, just old SUVs to be clear, nothing beyond, uh, 1979 really, um, excites me, but, uh, I really, uh, of course I love my 78 Bronco. I think it's one of the, uh, best looking and uh just i mean i have personal connection to it so i can't really uh <laughs> i can't really justify it too much but um one of the vehicles i really love is uh the 1955 um chevy uh, napco suburban or uh, gmc carryall i think it is those are awesome if you are not familiar with those um napco was a um uh, was a company that uh, would uh, modify um, old uh, stock um, cars or they would produce four-wheel drive kits for um, for uh, old uh, trucks and, and SUVs back in the uh, in the 50s and originally um, in I believe it started in maybe 54 55 they started selling kits that they would either ship to the dealer or ship to um, the person's house that the that the customer would then install on their vehicle on their two-wheel drive Chevy pickup and uh, I believe it was started in 1957 uh, Chevy actually started partnering with Napco to start um, building the four-wheel drive Napco conversions um, off the you know basically as a Chevy uh, engineered product and um, they were rugged and they were just great looking great looking rigs and they go anywhere and uh um just super super neat the skinny little tires and, and you know the beautiful sweeping lines of the, of the 50s very cool that's that's something i i uh i actually had a friend growing up um <clears throat> he's a few years older than me but he had uh, a yellow 
suburban i believe it was about that that era and it was it was just kind of this uh like old twinkie yellow uh and it was it was a little rough but i think it had a diesel in it it was it was uh it was quite the uh quite the machine but even then they were big big cars yeah, they weren't uh, they weren't small. They kind of looked like an old uh, school bus, um, but they were just you know, I mean, weight wise, they weren't that heavy. Uh, they weren't you know they're uh, less than most modern rigs, which most people are surprised by when they look at you know these old cars. They call boats. They're really not that heavy. They just maybe maybe look it, but um, but yeah, no, they they were really neat neat old rides. Yeah, one of the um, things that makes vehicles so heavy today is the safety tech that didn't exist back then. Just the the requisite um, crumple zones, the extra metal from crumple zones, and to pass uh, crash safety. So they've got to they've got to put a lot more metal in strategic areas and the weight of of airbags and and sensors, and it it all kind of adds up to be quite a bit. And I know that's one thing that causes major weight bloat is is safety tech uh and so those old vehicles even though they're all made out of wrought iron steel and and big cast iron blocks and (laughs) and you know just real man's metal they're still they're still pretty light because they've got thinner pillars uh and stuff they because they don't require they didn't require these you know c pillars be the size of you know a, a small tractor trailer you know so back then they could they could make uh, you know they didn't have to worry about rollover tests as much, so their pillars could be smaller, which gave you better visibility as well as a lighter weight. Back when men were men and sheep ran scared. Only from you. <laughs> um, no, but it's funny though uh, that you mentioned that um, when I you know people talk about. Uh, most people actually talk to me about my Falcon more than they talk to me about my other rides. Um, I think maybe it's because it's more approachable. It's a little uh, less intimidating, but I have people. It's very, very accessible. Yeah, it's a lot. People would think that a guy driving a Falcon would be a little friendlier than a guy driving a slammed rat rod Chevy. Um, so I get a lot more people talking to me about it, but I get a lot of comments, you know, oh man, back when it was real steel, you know, this is, this car is built to last and, you know, they are built to last, but um, as far as safety goes, they're not nearly as safe. And, uh, you know, a good case in point, um, you know, I was working on uh, on my cars and I've taken my doors apart multiple times on my cars just to, you know, I was replacing door panels or fixing something broken in, in the doors on my on my Chevy or whatever. And then, you know, I went to go fix something on my mom's uh, 92 Camry. And, you know, inside the door on my mom's 92 Camry, there's this big piece of tubular steel that runs across the width of the door. And it basically braces from the hinge to the latch. And none of my old cars have that. So when you think about getting hit from the side, and you think about what that does for like a side impact to resist deformation, I mean, that's huge. That's hugely helpful. Whereas in the old cars, there's none of that. You have none of that extra bracing inside the doors. Even my Bronco doesn't have it, you know, and maybe the... And even a, even a thin bar is going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it's it's it was tubular steel it was it was probably thin wall but it was still tubular steel 
Um, whereas, you know, the old cars are relying simply on the structure of the sheet metal, uh, the stamped sheet metal, um, to hold them, hold their shape and resist impact. So just kind of interesting things that they do now that, you know, maybe you don't see, maybe you touch that door, you tap that door on a new car and you're like, oh, that's just a little piece of plastic or tin or whatever. But inside, I'm, I'm sure that there's lots of, there's um, a lot more to it now. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of bracing, lots of, uh, lots of areas in their designs to take load for side impact. And a lot of it is not, not just a, a bar put in there. It's, you know, the way that they structure the sheet metal has they very specifically, you know, they, they've had enough crash tests done on previous versions that they can go, okay, here's where it deformed upon these impacts. So if we have it come down and then come bubble out this way a little bit, and they know where they can cut the metal without without uh, affecting the structure and where they can create ridges to kind of make them stronger. It's the same way that ruffles are stronger than lays. And <laughs> if they can... Very accurate, sir. That's, what analogy. That's a great analogy right there. That's fantastic. But I believe points need to be awarded for that. Yeah, I think you're gonna you know, you're gonna have a lot of uh, listeners going getting their Lay's potato chips and their ruffles out and comparing the the torsional rigidity of each chip to see what. <laughs> I'll I'll do I'll do a, a a quick test on Instagram uh, later this week. I'll I'll make sure to prove my. <laughs> Thank point. you for being so scientific um, and, and yeah. methodical about this. I appreciate it. I've got some Pringles here. I can attest grab that my uh, Pringles do not hold up very well to pressure. Ah, that's why they have to put them in the tube. Exactly. Yep. Lays, get on it. Get a tube. So maybe I should get in a tube because I don't hold up very well. In the <laughs> or backbone. You know, backbone. either way, you would be better off probably with a backbone. Oh, yeah. I could get a back. That would help. That would be good, mm-hmm. too. Maybe. Uh... <laughs> so definitely Bronco is your uh, your your kind of first off your off your brain uh, a vehicle. So if you could get any SUV, is that what you would pick up? Is it is another Bronco? So let me, <laughs> that's funny. You know, the reason I have the attachment to the Bronco is primarily because I grew up with it. Um, and I have so many memories, you know, going skiing and family vacations and stuff in it. But right now, if that were never in the picture, I would buy a 1955 uh, Chevy Napco uh, Suburban. So that, that, that is your your top pick. Uh, I think so at this point, as far as SUVs go. I think those are about the coolest out there. Excellent. Well, I wanted to hit one more one more segment at least, um, and we can you know I figure we'll circle back around to SUVs. What we're going to do with the dream rides for a while is we're going to kind of just do our our top, and that way we can focus on just one vehicle for each of us um you know per per segment per week so that we don't uh, just touch on a bunch of stuff we get to actually dive into you know what we like and why we like it um and i'm i you know i'm hoping that's you know an interesting way of of looking at things so you know if i have to pick one more segment uh i would like to touch on um European vehicles a little bit because I don't think we've given them uh, really any airtime and we did quite a bit on on uh, you know Japanese vehicles and we you know we've touched on plenty of American ones um, it's 
the hard part for me is it's so I'm going to go first because I'm so predictable um, that I'm, I'm certainly going to a BMW, but I'm, I'm just having trouble picking, but I'm probably going to go with what I know um, and just say the E39 at most levels is just such a good platform. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, not aficionados, but enthusiasts in the BMW community that consider it to be the best uh, stock platform. So regardless of what you do to it. And, um, you know, the 325 uh, in the U.S. is a bit underpowered. Um, but I've heard for commuting that it's it's just fine. But generally, uh, the common knowledge is that the 328 or the 528, sorry, is um, is the engine that you want most of the time. And when I was looking, uh, it was between the 540 and a there was a 328i uh, wagon manual that I wanted pretty badly in green, but they kind of wanted too much. Uh, for a you know a, a six cylinder, um, twenty year old car with you know one hundred sixty thousand miles on it, it was in pretty good shape. But they kind of wanted too much. But I thought that would be, like I said, I like I like interesting vehicles uh, 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 apart from good vehicles. Uh, interesting is more important to me, um, especially for a project and a, and a, a five speed wagon. 5 Series, just I love the lines on it so much. Um, but, like, that's a good car. Of course, I've I've waxed poetic enough about the, the 540i being just kind of the sweet spot for that car, I think, if fuel mileage is not important. And, of course, the M5 for the E39 generation is just an incredible machine. Um even even with the uh, you know the, the few issues that come along with it, the bushings wearing out and the uh, you know the engine being a little high maintenance, the kind of performance that you got in you know the early two thousands out of that car is just incredible, class leading or you know close to it depending on who you talk to. It's it's a wonderful vehicle and I I love the way it looks and the I I've considered putting the m bumpers on on my uh 540 and i probably will do the back simply for the exhaust outlets but you know the front kind of looks a little too phobra no uh offense meant but um (laughs) but you know on the other hand i did put you know a mock chin spoiler and m-a-c-h not m-o-c-k uh, chin spoiler and grill on my GT, uh, my Mustang GT. And so, you know, I'm not totally averse to it if it looks better. And I, I know that was part of why you, Andy, you know, put on what you did on the, on the V6 is you what looked good. It's what you liked. And that's really what cars and car culture is about is making a car look the way you want and, and having, you know, th- this is having it feel like this is, you expressing what you like uh, to a, to a large extent. And the fact that they, that the 540 is also fast is a plus um, it's fast, it's comfortable. And if I could change a couple things, you know, I love the, the black uh, 
uh, bumper moldings around the edges, the European style. Uh, I think that looks just absolutely incredible. The engine note on on all of them sound good, but the M5 is just otherworldly. And uh, I know Jeff actually sent a, a link. Uh, you can look it up to a straight-piped uh, 540i, and that is a mean-sounding car. What do you guys? What do you guys think of that? Is that predictable as you as you thought it would be? Yeah, about spot. I knew it was going to be MW. About, about what I expected. I I gotta say, you know, if if, if you haven't driven an E39 and you have the opportunity, I would highly recommend it because it is a very very good car, very good chassis. I I understand why you like it so much. So. <laughs> Andy will have to drive it sometime. We'll uh, we'll find a way for him to get some some seat time in one because it is it's it's an experience. But I I wonder because I came out of a, a standard uh, just above standard New Edge GT. Um, so I'm going to ask Jeff uh, this in front of Andy. Do you think he'll be at all disappointed with his Cobra, even with all the work put into it? To know what a fifteen hundred dollar BMW can uh, can yeah. handle like, um, <laughs> I won't be disappointed because it's a different animal. Gauntlet. I, I, I will. Uh, I will be. I will be pleasantly surprised when I finally get a rider. I, I know what's what to expect coming into it, but I think you will be shocked at how well it goes around corners and how intuitive it, intuitive it is. Like I was saying. The roads that we used to drive all the time out um, out by Ames and uh, and uh, Evans Road, like I went the fastest I've ever gone in Randy's BMW the first time I drove it, like which is the forty five mile an yeah, hour speed course. limit, you know. Um, but even even Randy told me he's like I was about to tell you to slow down, but you were really in the zone. <laughs> but. And the car did it like it, it. He was pushing it, but he never pushed it beyond about eight or nine tenths. Like it was right there, but it never. I I started to get concerned, but it never it never got into the point that I was, which was most hard corners in my in my Mustang. Now I know Andy's put a lot of work into his, and I don't think he he would get out of this twenty year old BMW going. Oh man, mine can't handle, but. I think he would still be impressed as to how, you know, how well it handles stock compared to, you know, uh, an American chassis with, with work done. I think he would be shocked how close it is in quality. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's, there's definitely, there's, I, I would be surprised that it's best right on point. Yeah, that's something worth, uh, worth looking into to doing. So, um, I know you guys have uh, different kind of uh, opinions on European cars uh, than I do. So I'm very interested to see what you guys have come up with. And I hope I've stalled long enough for you guys to um, come up with, with, uh, with something that you'd really uh, like to pick up. Um, I guess I'll start. Uh, European is tough for me. Um I would have to go with one of two cars come to mind immediately. Um, the first being a first gen nine eleven. Called it. 
Um, Pay me my money. <laughs> first gen 911, uh, course, would be a fantastic car um, for uh, reasons that are well known. Uh, second, Fancy Beetle. Cl- yeah. <laughs> uh, close second to that would be the E9 BMW. Uh, E9. Wow. You're reaching way back. 2800 CS or 3.0 or 3.1 liter CSL. The, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's such a good car. Yeah, yeah, both of those cars from from uh, from the European uh, uh, area. <laughs> uh, those are those are probably my favorites um, from that generation, um, and and honestly, any generation because new stuff just sucks. So. <laughs> Yeah, the, I know much more about the E9, but what I know of the of the first gen Porsche is kind of more the history of the company of Porsche mm-hmm. and what he was able to to do. Um, so the car itself, uh, I don't know as much about. All I know is when I see them rarely driving through town. Of all the Porsches, I can pick that one out. I I feel. The same way about Corvette as I do Porsche, that a lot of them kind of look samey and evolutionary in step to step, but that their first generation is their best looking and my favorite of of each. First gen Porsche, I think, is the best looking Porsche and the C1 Corvette is the best looking Corvette. It's just, it's, but they look completely different from... I think both of them in their second generation look like what you expect the car to have evolved from yeah. and that the C1 doesn't meet that. So it's kind of a different car. Yeah. They definitely were very true to kind of the time period and the, and true form uh, in early generations there. And that's kind of the truth with most cars in their first generation. And then everything after that tends to be some, some semblance of a rehash um you know of that first generation but that that rev that evolutionary there that revolutionary very first uh vehicle is always the most interesting um in general so i'll give it i'll give one more runner-up mention here just because i thought of it and uh the only reason i'm mentioning this is because i saw on top here um and i liked the car because it reminded me of my falcon and so the opal cadet is also pretty neat oliver oliver yeah (laughs) <laughs> totally like his love for that car and the simplicity and the ruggedness of it totally reminds me of my love for my Falcon and the same for the same reasons. So um, just and watching it's also his, very simple. Yeah. His, his passion for that car and his love for that car um, kind of made me think a lot, uh, very similarly of my Falcon. And so for that reason alone, I, I would also give that as a, uh, a runner up and I'm sure there's other, cars uh european cars that i'm missing like uh um, i'll mention it but i'm probably just rambling now but uh the lada also is something i kind of like too so the uh that's not a good car but it's an interesting car yeah it's not a good car but it's i like the first the look of the first gens they're kind of neat but uh but no i think definitively i'm gonna have to say my my favorite european car would be Ah, it's probably a, a close tie, but I would say uh, probably 911 has to get it just because of the the style. It's 
it's too pretty of a car. It's a very good looking car. Uh, point of order about the E9. It was built by Carmen, uh, the same company that built the Carmen Ghia and, uh, um, and some other like the 635 CSI BMW uh, built uh, the uh, Escort RS Cosworth, mm. the Mercure uh, XR4 Ti, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. It made some of the, uh, it made the 914, it made the 911s from 66 to 71, made some Renaults, uh, made a lot of, lot of really cool stuff, but it also made the Crossfire, so it kind of balances out. You know what I, I completely forgot uh, from the European uh, um, segment is the classic Ferraris and Lancias. Um, man, that that throws a wrench into this whole thing, doesn't it? But but I I think not not that you can't mention them, but I think more the Ferrari, Lamborghini, Maserati side of things is going to be more in the kind of the supercar divisions and the I think we'll bring them up later. Yeah. And this is more it's more of the exotic realm that we can kind of do as a segment. Yeah, nine eleven Stuttgart is kind of a little bit of both. A Stuttgart stuff can be both in this segment and in the in yeah. the supercar segment, uh, sure. and sports car segment. But yeah, you don't have to worry about not mentioning Ferrari and Lambo because, like, otherwise, uh, Diablo, yeah. please, yes. But yeah, well, well over just an, an M5 that I can get for ten grand. But um, yeah, no, those are those are definitely uh, solid picks. Um, all of them uh, with the nine eleven coming out on top. Uh, so Andy, what do you, what would you, what would you like to have in the garage of, you know, anything European, anything European? Um, I know we touched on this before, but one of them, probably a no brainer, a, uh, um, Cosworth is definitely up there on the list of wants the RS. Yeah. Um, even the, the newer, European spec, um, you know, like the the Focus RSs that Europe has gotten that we never have recently. Yeah, is the five the, the oddball one, right? ones. Yeah, the the ST one fifty would yeah. be the European version of my SVT Focus. Yeah, those are those are really cool. I like the uh... the higher up on the list before you start to get into exotic supercar realm. Um, the the Exige Cup. That's a wonderful car because that I mean that that fits almost into the into the supercar, but definitely into track toy. Like that's something that I think is going to come up again. Even just even not even just a regular Exige, even not even necessarily a Cup, but you know you can they're you know normal you know high end GT money now. You know you're talking a new Bullet or an Exige, you're talking the same price realm. Yeah, which is crazy because you know one comes with a Yaris engine. Yeah, one comes with a Coyote. Yeah, but it's it's such a good car. Like it is, it is a street legal go kart from. It you know, is. It really is. Told. You know, ironically enough, speaking of go kart, there's a, a a BMW shoebox up in the the North Hills of Portland with the license plate go kart. Really. Dead serious. It's by one of my relatives' houses up there. Wow, that's 
That's super cool. I know. I wish I go, I go past it. I smile a little bit. I'm like, hey, it's it's a BMW. It's not really my realm, but it's still kind of neat. Yeah, that's that's some good go-kart. stuff. The fact that they got go kart on there, you know, that's that's a cool plate. And speaking of plates, I might actually suck it up and register the register the Cobra here soon because I I started looking up custom plates and there's quite a few that are actually available that I'm surprised are available over here still. So I might suck it up and register it. Oh, that'd be neat. I've never had a custom plate. I've never, never even thought about it uh, seriously, but that's a car that, that could use it. Yeah. I figured might as well. It's only, it's only a little bit more, you know, every two years, like whatever. So when you go to certain big cities, like, um, like, like anywhere that has a big racetrack, like Las Vegas, uh, has these supercar, uh, tests where you can pay like four or $600 and, and you can basically rent the Ferrari 488 or the, um, yeah, or like um, a hurricane hurricane. I, we ha- we actually have a mutual friend that did that. So we'll see if we can someday get him on to talk about that. But, um, <clears throat> my thought when I was in there, uh, considering doing that was, you know, where's the where's the elise cup where's the exige cup like that's i would rather drive you know a a slow car fast and if i can get the fastest slow car and take that around the relatively small track because that's the thing is they're sometimes a little less than a mile and you get like four laps i would rather top out at 120 than try to get to 200 um and you know not have the the room to get there because a hurricane is just gonna hook up and get you to the next corner and then you lay on the brakes and turn whereas an exceed would be a much longer time uh out out uh, i think it'd be yeah i get what you're saying i think it would be more of a driving experience to flog an exceed than to you know you know put around in a hurricane i don't know like something like a small track like that or something you know unless you were going to do a full stint on a full road course then that's one thing but yeah, exactly. When you have a, a limited uh, distance you can go uh, and it's short, I'd rather make that time count a little bit. Right. So I've always thought that would be, I mean, if, if I could take, uh, not to break into, into into the track toys too much, but since we're here, man, if I could take anything out on a track, it'd be, it'd be a Caterham, probably a 170 Caterham maybe a 200, just one of those small, uh, you know, manual brakes, manual steering, but completely modern. So I know everything's going to hold together, but something that is just completely, uh, you know, not a go-kart because a go-kart is a, is a very specific thing. And I think we over compare to that. I over compare to go-kart. Sometimes you don't want that. Sometimes you want it to break loose a little bit and get a little shimmy, and I think that's something that like a caterer would give me. So, I mean, if I was, yeah, it gives you, gives you a little more feedback, a little more driving experience, you know, more seat of the pants feel. Yeah. I think that's what I, what I prefer to do. Uh, you know, I'm less likely to kill myself, I suppose, if I'm not playing with 180 mile an hour, uh, you know, straight speeds, uh, on the back straights. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Do we have any uh, any other thoughts about uh, you know our favorite European cars? 
I don't think I, I really do. I don't have a ton of much I dive into in the European. I mean, if I if I had to throw another one into the list, you know, I I I've liked the e, the E30s. You know, an E30 M3 has always been kind of nice. Oh, for sure. That's a that's a that's a quality quality automobile. Um, I guess I'll I'll uh, I'll clean up a little bit. Uh, going back to the news, uh, we we I guess missed something on the Ford GT. There was a a special order for GT that we need to touch on before we uh, before we call it a night. The the one I should I put the link on for the one we're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Let me pull that back up. Yeah, so um, where's the link? There it is. So to catch everyone up, um, the four GT, you know, now available uh, in the the, the naked uh, carbon, uh, you can still special order it, kind of with whatever paint colors, paint codes you would like. And there's a a famous paint code that was used on on Cobras and and stuff that's uh, got an interesting history with the U.S. Mint, as I recall. Uh, yeah, and this is this is something that uh, that uh, Andy stumbled across as someone ordered. You want to you want to tell him a little bit about it? Yeah, so it was part of the you know of the Ford GT you know buyer's experience. You could pay um, you could pay a hundred thousand dollars to get an exclusive deal with Ford, and you could pick the exact um, paint that you wanted on the car. You know, specific to you know exactly that car, and it became a, a copyrighted product at that point that that legally nobody else could copy it would be a one-of-one car nobody could copy it or ford would basically take you to court on it and somebody had the genius idea and kudos to them and i'm jealous as hell used mystochrome paint from the terminator on the ford gt and it looks even better on the gt than the terminator how would you describe mystochrome for uh for fans who may not know what that is so mystochrome it's a it's a mainly it's a it's a pearlescent paint it's a predominantly blue looking kind of base Um, most light looks blue and it will shift from blue to purple to a kind of a green tone depending on um you know light and shade that's on it depending on which angle and what light hitting it what way yeah it's got a whole whole vibrant uh list of colors and um, I always see it like a it's it's to me it reminds me of like a pinky purple like it it's usually a pink purple or green whenever I use the Sam. Yeah, yeah. You, you usually see it most of the time in in kind of a purple, and you know like most of the pictures it just looks like a blue. It's really hard to get all three colors into it. But if you scroll down to the video, um, the picture of it looking from the front on, you actually see all three colors in it, and it's a it's a really hard shot to get on that paint color, but. It looks really good. You know, typically you see it most of the time in purple to it's blue and purple tone, and it takes the right light hitting it to show the green, which is what I like about it the most. You know, it's got that little bit of a green tone to it. Yeah, this is one of those things that you know you search out at car shows because you need to see it in person. Now, when you like, is this the one? Is this the Mustang that if you got in an accident or anything that? you had to call 
the Secret Service. So because- no, it wasn't the Secret Service, but they did have a regulation with it. So if you damaged the car and needed to be painted, you had to call up Ford. They would send the rep out with the paint. You would they you would use the bottom of the shop that was repairing the car would use whatever paint they would use, spray it, and then Ford would take back whatever paint wasn't used because at the time it was used in currency, uh, I believe hundred dollar bills. Um, oh yeah, because it, yeah, it's on the old anti, old anti you know. Um, you know, uh, anti-forgery. Yeah. Anti-forgery. Thank you. Copy it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very well, you know, kept, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it still is, you know, being between Ford and the government, you know, it's still, um, kept tabs on very well. That's very interesting. Someone's got their car painted like a, like a security, uh, feature of a hundred dollar bill. Right. Very apropos. You're talking a six hundred thousand dollar amount of it. Wow! But it's 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 cool because of the exclusivity of it. The way Ford did it with the GTs, you know, you could. Um, there's another article I'll have to try and find it, um, that kind of dove into it. You could kind of pay for you know certain levels of exclusivity with the Ford GTs. You know, if you were selected for an allotment of the first run ones here. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting. Yeah, the top option. the top package deal was you know you would pay hundred grand you get you get to pick your color basically and it was a they'd copyrighted it was a one of one car at that point. And there's there's been a couple other neat ones. Um, I think somebody did a green one too, same kind of same process. But the the Mystichrome one's the the nice one. That's kind of the the coup de gras as far as colors. Wow, that's that's really fun. Uh, so do we have any other, any other, uh, subjects that we, that we missed that we want to bring up? Uh, Jeff, do you have anything? Nothing for me. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased as punch. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for, for getting together tonight and and doing this. Um, for those listening, uh, definitely check out our Instagram page because we are, we're ramping up a little bit and posting, uh, more and more and hopefully it gets, uh, pretty busy pretty soon uh i'll do the chip test later this week um after release and uh yeah definitely check there for for updates that's garage night podcast on instagram uh you can also check out the website i've got a gallery with a lot of our uh our automotive pictures you can kind of see what our rides are when we talk about them uh there's also stuff in the gallery from the other shows, and that can all be found at uh, tinydogpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, so definitely I would recommend uh, checking that out. And uh, you can email us at uh, tinydogpodcastnetwork uh, at outlook.com. Uh, email me uh, uh, ideas for, for dream car segments. There's something you want us to talk about. We covered uh, Need for Speed Underground and uh, adjacent car games uh last week we may return to that to that well in the next couple of weeks um we've got a lot of things but please if if there's something you'd like to hear us touch on uh uh please let us know and we'll uh we'll we'll pop it in here uh so final thoughts you guys uh you guys have any final thoughts uh to close it out i'm good man well, I would say on uh, on behalf of Andy, if you're going to get a uh, classic video game system, make sure that you can actually plug it into your television.
uh, and don't need a, a uh, another adapter. Uh, and uh, from me, just be careful of Texas drivers because they are scary. Uh, from all of us here at Garage Night, uh, uh, good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Garage Night Podcast. A special thanks for Jeff Tracy and Annie Tamlin for joining the show this week. Until next week, keep turning wrenches.